Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. I have to excuse the pollen-infused voice today. Um, man, I tell you what, this airbrushing with lime green everywhere is getting old. <clears throat> wow. Well, good morning. My name's Tim. If this is your first time to the Vineyard, welcome. And we are closing out our series, Everybody Always, today. And uh, we ended on this high note of love even the difficult people. I mean, seriously, couldn't we have dealt with that early on? Then we wouldn't have to talk about this now. This subject probably deserves an entire series, actually. Uh, because it seems like probably most of our lives are involved with coming into contact, at least on some regular basis, with difficult people. True? Fact of the matter is, though, that we are, to some people, that difficult person. <laughs> and so uh, it is a topic that uh, we probably need to talk about. And... Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're going to close it out today, and we're going to be over in uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, over in Matthew 5. And this is a, you know, th- these sayings of Jesus in this area, they're probably the most quoted, and they are probably the clearest, maybe in some ways, and the most challenging, without a doubt. We like to kind of make them a bit romantic and we want to say them in certain ways that we think they're pithy statements and they're lofty ideals and they're possibly ways that some group of people might be able to live somewhere sometime. And yet Jesus keeps laying it on layer after layer after layer. And so we're going to take just a portion out of the Sermon on the Mount and talk about how to treat people today. We'll be over in Matthew 5 verse 43 uh, through 48. You know, I don't know, we all probably have uh, a process of dealing with difficult people that go all the way back to our childhood. Can you, can you remember how you dealt with challenging people, maybe in like elementary school? I can remember. I ran. I mean, I, I, or either I coalesced a group of guys together and we dealt with it. That's the reason, that's the way. Uh, when I was reviewing this, I thought back to, uh, this, these are the kind of things that, but dealing with people either scar you or they leave at least these deep memories. But we had this guy on the school ground. I think I was in the fifth grade. And he was forever bullying all of us. I mean, we were just having a good time in the schoolyard and playing. But he would come over, throw sand in your face, push you down. And, you know, he was a big guy. And, and, uh, and one afternoon after school's out, uh, back and then when I was in elementary school, we used to have these trash baskets out in the in the uh, yard out here in the school ground, and they were kind of made out of this mesh wire thing. You know, they were kind of flexible. And people would throw their, like, fruit, like oranges and stuff that they had eaten in there, along with the food from the cafeteria after eating. And so one day this bully was just me and two of my friends and this, this one bully, and he kept coming over, messing with us. And suddenly I spied that trash can. <laughs> And I'm working through how to deal with difficult people. I mean, even at an early age, I'm, you know, that's, just, that's just who I am. I'm processing, you know, how do I deal with this difficult person? And suddenly I saw all the wasps and the bees hovering around the, all that rotting fruit. And it was an invitation to an arsenal. 
uh, defensive and uh, ways to deal with difficult people. And so, you know, I looked at my two friends and the guy walked over a little ways and I said, and they went, and so, you know, we got some paper up and while he had his back turned, we gobbled up all the bees that we could find and all the rotten fruit we could and snuck up behind him and just nailed him. I mean, and, you know, just, and some of you are going to leave the church now. No, that was in this very peaceful pastor's heart. But this difficult person did not mess with us again. <laughs> he never did because, I mean, that was just the power of the three, you know, is what it was. But probably not the best way to deal with it, obviously. But we do develop like different ways of dealing with, with confrontational people early on in life. And we find ways to either escape from them, to appease them. I know my oldest son, when he first went to school, his way of dealing with difficult people was to win them as friends. He had some guy cut in line. And, and he told me when he came home from school, Dad, this big guy cuts in line. And, and, and me, I said, well, talk to him. Go talk to a teacher or whatever. And so one day he comes back. I said, how's it going with the guy that keeps cutting in line? He goes, it's going great. I said, what did you do? He said, I made him my friend. He said, I made him my friend. I just, I just... You know, started talking to him and, hey, how's it going? How you doing? And I let him stay in front of me. And then after a while, he never cut in front anymore. He just, I thought, boy, he did it a lot better than I dealt with it. You know, it's, it's so much. So, and, uh, and, you know, you learn to do all these, most of, most of the difficult people in our lives, though, you know, are, they're dealing with stuff too. They honestly are. And they're processing through life. And, and so, we go through life and then we meet Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, we come to know Jesus. And Jesus begins to work on our hearts and massage our hearts. And we see the love of God and how it's poured out on the cross through Christ who came and was perfect and was bullied and pushed around and still went to the cross. And then he lays out these beautiful challenges to us at this Sermon on the Mount. And so... Let's read Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And we can put this up on the screen. Maybe we can do like we've done in the past and we can read this together. So let's, and then I'll pray and we'll jump into this. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, we ask for you to bless the reading of your word today. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, indeed you'd breathe life on it. Lord, help me in my weakness today. I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would indeed come and that we would be able to hear what you want us to hear. We pray for, Lord, a changing of our heart. We pray for new eyes to see the world the way that you see it. We pray for a heart to be able to live life the way you've called us to live it. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Jesus, we love you. And Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to gather today to learn more about you. Amen. 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 Love your enemies. 
What does that mean? What does love your enemies? What does the love mean in that? And who are your enemies, by the way? You know, I, I want to say this too. We've said this a few weeks ago. Love is not primarily a feeling. And when it comes to difficult people, you don't have a lot of gooshy feelings for them, do you? It's not like, oh, I just really love that person who takes advantage of me. I just really love that person who rips me off. I really love that person who jumps in front of me. You know, all of these things, no, it's not. And so we wait maybe for a feeling to hit us before we ever do any act of love. It's like once I feel it, I'll do it. And that's so antithetical, you know, to the way the kingdom of God is. I mean, Jesus did not wait till we loved him before he went to the cross. And while you were yet sinners, far away from him, Christ came. He died. Gave his life for us. And then he calls us to do the same, to live the same way. And look, I get it. Some of us don't like that. I get it. Look, if you're not feeling the rub being a Christian, you probably aren't a Christian. You know, if you're not feeling the bending of God bending us and trying to get that brokenness and that bent outlook of life out of us, if you're not feeling a little tension in it, then you're probably not being challenged in it. You probably wonder, you know, if everything's just rosy and peachy keen and I love my enemies and they're wonderful, you know, come in and ravage my home, steal everything, take it all, run over me, whatever, you know, then, you know, something's, you know, just say it. But if you're struggling with it and you're going, I don't get it, God. You know, I don't get it. Where does that love come from? Because I do not love that person. And you're telling me to love them. Well, love is not primarily a feeling. Not primarily. You heard me say it before, you know, chemicals are awesome. Great. That stimulation in the brain when you see the person you love and man, you're so excited or, or whatever you love to do in life, surfing or, you know, music or whatever, art or things that make us have a sense of, of joy and those things are wonderful. But when it comes to dealing with people and it comes to doing as, you know, what Christ has called us into, we're an upside down kingdom. I mean, in while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And while these people are very difficult, the church is called to love them. I mean, this horrible situation, these, all these folks in New Zealand that were killed, you know, while they were in prayer here the, the last couple of days, it's horrible. Whether I agree with that faith and have much, uh, big differences, huge. And while I may not agree that that is the faith, the true faith of God, it's, what? You know, the prayer is now that churches now that love Jesus come alongside and love. And love and show the love of Christ to people. Show it. We're called to love. It's not the feeling. We, we wait on a feeling to hit us, folks. We're going to wait forever. We're called. It's an upside down kingdom. We're called to act. So love is not primarily a feeling. It's, uh, it's so much, you know, like I said, it's so much easier to act on love when you feel the love. But that's not the kind of love we're called to. That comes a lot of times after you do something. Have you noticed that? If you're having problems with someone, go do something nice for them. Pray for them. Do something kind. And suddenly your heart begins to change. And you're like, I don't know why, but you know, they just don't. I'm changing the way I feel about them. And I don't feel the way I used to. 
If you continually serve, like those anonymous serving moments that are on the wall back here, uh, I, I wondered on all of us that did these things uh, over the last couple of weeks, I wondered how many of the things that we did anonymously, the nice things, were done for people that are difficult people in our lives. I'll bet you a lot of us thought immediately, I want to go do it to this nice person that I like. Right? Yeah, we can be honest. It's okay. I mean, that's, I like doing that. I, I like going and doing nice things for nice people. Not you. And, uh, but the kingdom of God is, is different than that. It's different than that. There's more power in the kingdom of God when it comes to loving our enemies than you realize, than we realize. And, uh, you know, loving your enemies, this is in, like, you know, it, the language here that Jesus is using, you know what hyperbolic language is? Like you use a hyperbola to use hyperbola to make a point. It's like an exaggeration. Well, this was a way of communication that Jesus used when he communicated. And there's some of that in this. Like in Luke 14, 26, where he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I mean, we read scripture like that and we just want to tiptoe right around it, right? Hate? Man, I've got to hate my dad, my mom, the people I love the most. I'm supposed to hate them? What do you, what do you, that's, that's hyperbola. That is Jesus saying, using the tools of communication of his day, is a way to say in comparison to the love expected for God, for Expected, this is what it looks like. It, he, not, he doesn't mean hate. Actually hate those people. Because you love them. We're told in other places in the scripture to love our mom and dad. To honor them, right? So there's not a contradiction there. This is a tool of communication. Saying that, you know, in comparison to, this is what it looks like. And so it's, it's hyperbola. And it's a kind of a priority thing. Love your enemies. It means doing acts of love. Do something that shows love. Do something that you would, you would do for someone you really like. Do something like that for the difficult person. Do something for them. Hate your enemies. You've heard it said to hate your enemy. Well, really, that's not even in the Old Testament. We're not told to hate. So, see, this is hyperbola. This is a contrast that Jesus is using to set the story up. Because we are not told in the Old Testament anywhere to hate our enemies. So Jesus is playing this, you know, this, uh, using this language tool to set it up. To say, here's the contrast between following me and not following me. This, this amazing contrast. Pray for your enemies. Pray, you know, like I said, if you pray for your enemies, you find out that your heart begins to change. Then when you see them, that person that, you know, when you're out at Market Common and you walk, you see them coming and you go on the other side of the street or, or you kind of slip into Barnes and Noble, stick a magazine up, you know, kind of like, you know, that person. It's like the more you pray for them, then next time you're out there, you're like, I'm going to say, hey, the more you pray, it seems like the Lord softens your heart. Even more so than, than what's going on in there. So you pray for them because you pray because you want to have the eyes of Jesus. You want to have the heart of Jesus for this person. Pray for them. And uh, remember Jesus on the cross. Father forgive them. Right up to his dying breath. Father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing by crucifying me. They don't get it. 
They don't get it. Father, forgive them. So I've got in your handout, if you flip it over, there are three things here on the back. Um, three things I think that will help us love difficult people. And I believe they come right out of our text today, right out of the scripture. And uh, I want to reiterate this. We said this a few weeks ago too. Loving someone isn't condoning their behavior. It's confirming their value. Do you get this? You know, doing good for someone who isn't doing good doesn't make that person good. It shows that you're good. Right? You made the choice to do something good. It reflects your behavior and it begins to develop in you the value of looking at that person as a human being with intrinsic God-given value of their creator. We have such a hard time loving people where they are in the behavior of which they're living. Because we feel like if we do something kind or if we love them, if we do something like that, we are condoning what they believe or their behavior. But that's not the point. Any of you who have had children have had to love them beyond their behavior. True? True? I mean, we babysat a one-year-old and a three-year-old for four days. It's a wonder I'm alive. I'm right here right now (laughs) this past week. Right? Four Years? No, days. It was days. That's right. It's four days. Yeah. And you know, you know, you see behavior, you see things that you go, I wish they wouldn't do that. I don't like that. Then you make the choice whether to press in to be there for them or you just disregard them completely. The people that you love, that you already have feelings for, you press in. Jesus has called us to press in even with those we don't have that feeling for. Ones that we disagree with. We press in because that's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom. Why are we threatened with this? Why do we feel insecure in loving people that we feel like are unlovable? When we're secure in the hands of Christ. Loved by him, kept by him. Assured by him that he will be with us always. He'll never forsake us. Why are we threatened by that? Reaching out to love someone else. I know it's hard. But this is our call. Three things that will help us love difficult people. Look at what Jesus says in, the, in this part. He says. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Listen. We all have good times. Those people you disagree with. Those difficult people have good times. We have good times. That is just something that's in all of our lives. And. When I think about difficult people, I think about a prime opportunity to be there for them is when good things are going on. The sun rises on them as well as it does us. Their children are going to get married. Their children are going to uh, graduate from school. They're going to get a promotion. All of these people, what a prime time for us to love them. To be there at those times when the sun rises in their life. I mean, think, just think of some things. The beautiful things in people's lives that happen. The birth of their children, right? What if you find out one of these difficult people are having a child? And your first thought is, oh, God have mercy on that child's soul or something. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of that, you know, it's like, let me get some flowers and let me go. Let me send them some flowers. Let me go over. Let me do something kind for them. I mean, when the sun rises on them, because it rises on us too, we share something in common 
with difficult people, and that is life. And what a way to serve, a, you know, graduations from high school and college, our friends and even the difficult people to walk across, you know, the auditorium when that person you had such a difficulty with in college to walk across when they received their degree and thank and say congratulations. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you made it. And uh, I hope life goes well for you. Blessing them, doing things like that, prime opportunities to bless a difficult people. Weddings and someone buys their first home and you find out about it and they move right next door to you. <laughs> that difficult person, you know, you're like, and you see the U-Haul back up. And you wonder, I wonder who the new neighbors are. And out comes the most difficult person you've ever had to deal with in your life. You know, If you're a Christian, you cannot curse God and die. You cannot curse God and die. No. Can't pull a Job, you know, like Job's wife told him to do. Can't do that. You, uh, you know, you have to kind of see providence in it. You kind of have to see God's sense of humor. Because he kind of goes, <laughs> Matthew 5. I wrote it a long time ago. There. Let's see it. You know, what are we threatened by? Why are we, why are we so feel icky by it. I mean, why not press in and let the love of God, the same love that saved us, that called us, that cleansed us, that continues to save us and will save us, not be a power in our lives for, the, for these folks too who need to see it. I mean, can you come up with some things? Some good things that where you can be in people's lives? You got any ideas? Pray for them. Yeah. I mean, stimul- ask, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, you know, do you know who I'm talking about, by the way, difficult people? Oh, yeah. That's what it's like. Oh, yeah. Right, you know, Lord, I'm praying right now. You will not let us off the hook on this. <laughs> right now, Lord, your people that are in this room that know you. I'm praying right now, that difficult person or people, right now, you would break our hearts for them. And Lord, that you would give us ways to express your love to them. Come, Lord. Do that. Teach us. Thank you, Lord. Look, I hate putting uh, disclaimers on messages because I feel like if you preach a lot, the balance comes as you preach, you know, each Sunday and all. But you, I, I realize there are boundaries you have to put in people's lives and issues and situations. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes there are, for health safety issues, you have to put boundaries. Okay, I'm not negating the need for that at times. So we all have good times. What a great time to be able to minister to someone when you see them happy, when you see them joyous, when they get the raise that you deserved or the promotion. How about they get the promotion you were supposed to get? Oh, so glad you got that. Congratulations. Man, congratulations on your promotion. Congratulations. And then you can go off and shake your fist at God and you know, have your time with the Lord and try to see if he will explain it to you. And then he will show you the cross 
and you will show Jesus, and you will. I get it, and you'll walk off, and you'll be you'll be okay. You'll be all right. So the good times. Secondly, we all have bad times. The sun rises on all of us, right? Those of us who are Christians, those of us who are not Christians, good things come. We can be there with them. We're people, after all, human beings living on the face of this planet, left here on the earth around other people. But then we also have bad times. The rain. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Trouble comes to all of us. Every one of us. It comes. I really believe this is probably one of the most opportune moments in our lives to be the salt and the light that Christ has called us to be on this earth is when we see difficult people, other people going through very difficult times and we can show up in their lives and we can be a source of hope and encouragement to them or just compassion just to be there. I mean, how awesome would it be to a person probably be, probably you might be that difficult person to the person that's a difficult person to you because you've had these exchanges, right? But how wonderful for you, dear Jesus follower, to show up at their difficult time and to, and to show the compassion of Christ to their lives. I mean, they lose someone, uh, you know, they have a financial problem or... There's a sickness, there's some issue, something happens in their life that's uh, a tough time. What a wonderful time to show up. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that, you know, we, it says, who, who comforts us, talking about God, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can, what, comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Because the comfort that we receive from God is now an investment in our lives, dear Christian. And now we have this resource where we can go. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That same love and comfort that's there is in you now and you have it to give. It's there in you. You push past your feelings for that, the way you feel about that difficult person. And realize that compassion and that comfort is right there in you to show to them. And um, a lot of us have probably experienced people coming into our lives at just the right time. And um, it means so much. I have, you, just a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned people in my life that I continually pray for. And been decades praying for them. And I still, you know, last night at 10.30 at night, I'm on these text exchanges from Hawaii to all over the place for this little group of people that... Uh, that I grew up with and, and that we stay in contact with and I'm still praying for. And so we're texting back and forth and I'm praying for all these guys the whole time. And, but you know what? Oh, we went through a very difficult time 20 some years ago, a horrible time. And uh, I get a call from this group. None of which go to church or anything like that. I'm talking about an upside down situation. So I get a call from one of them, and the guy, one of the guys says, Tim, meet, meet, me at your, meet me at my house. And a couple of guys had come in from out of town. And so I show up, and I'm expecting to, see, to watch surf movies, right? And so I walk into the room, and I'm like, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's, watch, let's watch some movies. And they all turn to me, and they go, no, we're here for you, Tim. We're here for you. Talk to us. Talk to us. Tell us what you're going through. We're here for you. Whew. Talking about 
upside down. You know, this is the same group that when our first grandson died, I get this phone call. Where are you? And I tell them, and they go, meet me on the side of the road. Some of you have heard this story, but some of you haven't. Meet me at on 501 on the side of the road near blank blank. I'm like, man, this sounds like a drug exchange or something. Like that. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on, you know? And uh, so I go over there and I meet him. I pull off the side of the road. There's the guy's truck. I get out and these two guys get out. They come over and they put an envelope in my hand. And I open the envelope and there's a card in there. And in that envelope is some money and a card that says, we love you and it's signed by most of the surfers I know in Myrtle Beach. And they put it in my hand. They say, go bury your grandson because we didn't have the money to do it. Go bury your grandson. Now see, that's not right. <laughs> I'm the Christian. <laughs> uh, it's just... It doesn't seem right. And, but that's the kind of thing we should be doing for others. And there are tough times when they're facing their loss. And when they're facing challenges and their difficulties. The church of Jesus Christ is salt and light. And I dare say when we are not loving beyond what's expected. And we are not serving those who don't deserve to be served, we are not salt and light. We are no different than anyone else. If we cannot love beyond people's behavior, and if we cannot serve beyond their actions, and even their personalities and character flaws, if we cannot love past that and show the love of Christ to them, we're no different than anybody else. But yet Christ is... Let his love be shed abroad in our hearts, it says. We have a resource. We have a resource to give that others don't have to give. Give. Ah, man. I uh, was faced with a dilemma years ago in that uh, I was called to the jail. I mentioned this a few weeks ago to meet with a guy who had murdered three people and he had done horrible, atrocious things to people. Just stuff that's like out of some horror movie or something. And so I ended up spending like a hundred and I had to document my hours that I talked with him. It was like 135 hours I ended up spending with him. Through his appeals process until he went to the gas chamber. And uh, in the, when I was sitting in court with his mother, his mother came from West Virginia his brother, I was sitting in court and I thought, what an odd situation. I've got the mother of this guy who did all these horrible things on my right. I've got his brother on my left. I'm sitting in court and I'm looking at the horrible repercussions of what this man has done to people because they're on the stand testifying against him. And, and I have to tell you, it was an odd feeling to be in that place of tension. Difficult, horrible behavior. And seeing the courage of the ones who stood up to say, this is what this person has done and took amazing courage to do that, to get up and testify and to see their love for everyone else to protect them by saying this guy doesn't need to be out and be among people. But then to sit next to a broken hearted mom who has watched this and her brother too, 
you know, that contrast in that moment, I had to decide, what am I going to do? You know, what do you do in the moment when you're stuck in the tension between loving? Because caring or doing something for them and doing something maybe for him at the time is no way, does not validate the behavior of the person. In no way. In no way. It's simply a reflection of God's great mercy and grace in that moment. Do you get this? And I dare say God probably does more for us in those moments than, you know, than, than the person. But we are created to do this thing. We are made and we are equipped to love difficult people. We are sent and left in this world to be salt, to be light. To be the people who can give hope to people who are hopeless. And many times people who have written, other people have written them off and said, there's no hope for them. No hope at all. We're called. Look at this last feeling is this. We all have a future. We all have a future. Listen, you know, that scripture, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is literally in the Greek, though it says it this way, because it has a, it's a perfect or it's a future tense. And it is like you will be perfect as I am perfect. It's a statement of what is to come. In other words, do all of this because you will be perfect as your father is perfect. That's what it literally means in the Greek. You will be perfect. So we behave now like what we're going to be like. Do you get this? The power of the future of the kingdom of God. We live in the now like what we're going to be. So every act toward a difficult person of kindness and love and gesture of Jesus' love. We are acting like what we're going to be like one day. Because that's exactly how Jesus is. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we are positionally, as they say, already there. But we are experientially not there yet. Because we're still struggling with it. So we all have a future. Our future, dear Christian, is to be just like Jesus. To be like Him. To love like Him. To forgive like Him. But I'll have to tell you this. Some of those difficult people don't have the future you have. They don't. That's why, why are we threatened? Why are we threatened when our future is to be just like him? We can extend our hands of mercy. We can extend our hands of grace. We can do something, act of love, some act of kindness to disagreeable people. Because this is who we're becoming. We're becoming people who can do that. And we can do it well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask a while ago for you to put that difficult person's face or name before us in our mind. I wonder if we could pray for them even right now. Could you just whisper a prayer? Ask God to show his great love to them.
Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray you'll use us to reflect the love that you have shown ourselves. Come, Lord. Those of you who have been in a small group through this process probably know what those marks are up there, don't you? How many of you know what those little smudges? Yeah, those are witch doctor thumbprints. All of those smudges up on everybody always. Because Bob, when he goes to Uganda and he goes over there to minister and all, he started a witch doctor school to redeem the witch doctors and get them out of what they're doing. He's got two schools going. And so, because they've done horrendous things. He's taken them, he's a lawyer, he's taken them to court for the things that they've done. But he said after he got some of them put in prison because of the behavior that they'd done, he realized he needs to go another step and that is to love the difficult person. So he started a school for witch doctors. To, and he only uses like, he uses the Bible as their textbook. And I think he's graduated two classes, and those are the thumbprints of those witch doctors that have come through his schools. Pretty powerful, huh? Pretty powerful. And I just wonder how many thumbprints, you know, on our lives that we'll have of those that we've been there for. My son was at the house a couple of days ago, and we're trading music, and he's playing some music for me, and playing my guitars and we're talking and he starts playing this one song and, and there's a line in the song that goes my regrets look like text I shouldn't send I've got neighbors that are more like strangers we could be friends and uh, I just think we don't want to spend our whole lives like that do we no let's not have any regrets let's stand folks Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.